But this morning, we're going to look at working out what God has worked in. Working out what God has worked in. So if you look at Philippians chapter 2, our text this morning will be verses 12 through 18. The context will be bigger, but we will start in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, again we come this morning. We thank you, Lord. We bow in your almighty presence. And Father, just, Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for your blessings. We cannot begin to to express how thankful of heart we are, Father, for your electing grace, your sovereign love, Father, your purpose to save and to bring to you and to give each of us eternal life, Father, for those who believe. Lord, at this time, we open up your eternal word. Father, may you apply it to our hearts according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in verse 12, he's continuing a thought Paul establishes. And if you look in chapter 2, verse 1, many of the things which we read, if we just open up a portion of Scripture, it's very important to keep it in context. It will help us understand the passage and to stay consistent and and have honest with it. But he says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to the saints of God. He's talking to those who are saved. If you're saved today, we have a fellowship of the Spirit. That means that you and I have that that thing in common. If there is a commonality between me and you, and it is the Spirit, then here comes his instructions in verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So Paul's charge to the church is to have this one mind, be in one accord, that we are locked, stepped together, side by side, and that we are in unity in what we desire, what we do as a church. We are in unity of one mind. But in verse 3, he says the opposite is, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So he's starting to talk about the submissive mind. In order to have a unified mind, we must have a submissive mind. And how does he say to do that? Well, he says to avoid strife, avoid pride, avoid wanting glory. It's empty glory. 
for the things which we do. Remember, he's talking to the church. And so he's talking to us today. So in doing that, what would we do with this lowliness of mind is we actually esteem each other better than ourselves. And he says in verse 4, let not every man of his, let, I'm sorry, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Then he brings up the mind as an example of Christ. What exactly is he getting at? What is this submissive mind? What is this humility of mind? Well, what he is saying, and he's getting ready to give us the example with Christ, is do not think so much about your own needs or your own right to needs. Your own entitlement to what's coming to you. Okay? Because then he gives us up, then he, look at Jesus. Did Jesus regard his own needs first? Did Jesus regard what he was entitled to first? Or did he have the mind of what others needed? And that's what he gives here in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which, also, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He gives us Jesus' credentials. Everything he was entitled to. Verse 7, but what did he do? He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, would he have done that if his priorities were the things of his own? No. He would not have done that. So what he did was he had to humble himself. And in humbling, this is a submissive mind. And a submissive mind is not looking so much at the things of which you need, but the needs of others. And you know what? The Lord will supply all your need. You don't have to worry about your need. The Lord tells us to provide for them, to go out to them, to, to visit the fatherless. To, and that's what he said. If you've done the least unto these, my brethren, you've done unto me. When have you fed me? When have you clothed me? When have you visited me when I was sick? So if we put our, our passion upon the needs and esteem others better than ourselves, not only will we be unified as a church, but we will have the mind like Christ. And the where, you know what? Somebody is thinking about you. And God is going to provide your needs through somebody else obeying just as you are, looking at the needs of others. But verse 9, so we see the pattern. The pattern of the mind of Christ is submission. Now we're going to see the purpose. Well, what's the purpose behind this mind? In verse 8, and being found in fashion, I'm sorry, verse uh, 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here is the purpose. We saw the pattern of what kind of mind to have. The purpose is to exalt Christ as God has exalted Christ. Christ is the ultimate one to be exalted and be glorified. We're not looking for vainglory. We're looking for the glory of Christ. God's other ultimate purpose in us and saving us. God's purpose in saving us was to bring glory to his name and to bring glory to Christ. 
And so uh, the other part of this is not just to exalt Christ, but his purpose is to also conform us to the image of his son. And this also will exalt Christ. Um, so then he gets to verse 12. So I really needed to start back in verse 1, give you some context, give you some fuel, because we're going to go through, because this is the practical part of our Christian living. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye all have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This work out does not mean work for your salvation. This work out is, kind of, is a verb that was commonly used, and it's to kind of like work out a math problem. Um, or back in those days when they would go to mines and strip mines and, and they would work out a mine. They would dig, they would get the treasure out by working it out working everything that it had to hold and to value, and not only do it once, but repetitiously. So as God works in us, we work out. And that's what that means. We're not working for salvation. We're working because of what God has already worked in us. Now, this is a form of worship. Now, I may start a worship series at some point, but I wanted to give you just some uh, things about inter, uh, worship. There is vertical worship. Vertical worship is where the worship is between you and the Lord. It comes from the heart, and vertical worship is you uh, giving witness to God, witnessing to God. And vertical worship, up and down, is for your benefit. It's for your own benefit. Then there's horizontal worship. Now, horizontal worship comes in two categories. There's horizontal worship is the worship which we do as a congregation together. The objective of horizontal worship is not only are we worshiping the Lord as we did this morning in song and hymns, but we're also lifting each other up as we worship. As you worship the Lord from the heart, I'm horizontally being blessed. That's called edification. So we edify one another. We build each other up in love through our dedication of worship. Then there's the third kind of worship, the third kind of horizontal worship. It is the worship which we testify to those who are on the outside. The world. It's the witness to the world. The world should see us worshiping. The world should see our lives, and how we worship the Lord in our lives. And so that is the other element in Hebrews 13, 15. You don't have to turn there. It says that it pleases the Lord. He says, by him let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Continually. When we leave here, we continually worship. We're always worshiping. And the vertical worship becomes a horizontal worship. The vertical worship that you are right with the Lord and you have the benefit of the peace and that passeth all understanding and you have the hope of the glory of God in your heart. You know you're saved. And whatever happens, you, you could be hit by a truck. You know that you're going to wake up in glory and it was your time to go. 
It was your time. The Lord was done with you on earth. And all glory to the praise of his will and his purpose and his sovereign purpose. And so we know we have that in our hearts. Isn't that something that uh, you hear it? You've, you, I don't know how long you've been saved and been in church. I, mean, I, I want to hear everyone's testimony. I honestly do. Uh, I, I know that's a little side thing, but I would love to hear everybody's testimony. Um, but you've probably heard it your whole life is people say, well, I hope I go to heaven. I hope I go to heaven. And it's so easy for us who are the God's people to take for granted this hope which we have in us as an assurance that we know that we are going to glory. We know without a shadow of a doubt that how many are out there who are holding on to false hope and holding on to this, well, I hope I go to heaven. But if God's working in you, you know. You know. And so what do we do as God works in? That's what he said in verse 12. We work out our own salvation. You know, salvation is from the inside out, not the outside in. We don't work for our salvation. It's a salvation which God has put within you, and then we work out. We work out. So um, as we move on, the God's purpose is to conform us to the image of his son in Romans 8, 29. Uh, but we know that through life, we run into bumps. We run into obstacles. And those things that we want to do, uh, we don't. And those things that we don't want to do, we do. And as we go, the Lord is correcting us and bringing us to repentance and faith. And we trust in him. And how much more, how much the more does the Lord make us realize that we cannot depend on ourselves? <laughs> we must depend on the power of God. And isn't it great that we can depend on his righteousness, that we have eternal life? It's not my righteousness, it's the Lord's righteousness, which he has provided. Otherwise, God reminds me every day that my righteousness is dumb. It, it's filthy rags. I, even when I want to do good, I, I find myself not doing. And when I don't want to do it, I, that I do. That's what Paul said. One of the, probably the holiest men that there lived said, this is the struggle that I've got. But the, we know that the conviction needs to be there. There needs to be some surrendering in our lives and things of that nature. So uh, that is what God is working in you that you work out. But God's dealings with me, and here's the thing, is God's dealings with me as he is working, he has worked salvation in and as I work it out, the destination is the same for all of us. It is to exalt Christ in our bodies and it is to conform us to the image of his son. Romans 8.29, we don't have time to turn there. Our destination's the same, but our journeys may be different. So God is going to bring us to that point in different ways, in all of us. His will is different for all of us. He has equipped us in some way in our lives to learn, to grow, to look for spiritual lessons in the, the things which may be confusing or make no sense. Or, Lord, how have you equipped me for today? How have you equipped me to glorify Christ, to lift him up? To show others the grace of God. To show others the forgiveness of a sinner like me. How can I do those things? And Lord, will, you, you beg God with your heart that question and he'll open it up for you. I believe he really will. You know, we are not to, um, in our lives, we, we, we get our information, we get our instruction from the word of God. 
you know, many times that, you know, growing up, I saw many Christians and many exemplar examples of Christians. And maybe in your own life, you've known many godly people that they've just been, uh, they've had the joy of the Lord their whole life. They've had, you know, sweet, sweet um, fellowship with their, their, their wife or their husband or, or whatever. And it just seems like they've got everything. And, and so you try to mimic their Christian life. We are not to mimic others. We are not to follow after others. We are to follow after the Word of God. Let the Word of God be our guide. Let the Word of God be our instruction. Let the Word of God be our admiration of Christ. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. Nor are we to purposefully ignore others in their lives. You know, that's the thing, as he says in in, um, verse 12, he says, you know, work this out, your salvation, not, not in my presence only, but also in my absence. I have a desire to do those things. You know, we're not to intentionally live opposite to the people which we don't admire. It's not that Paul, Paul is saying, you know what, don't live intentionally after me just in my presence or just because I'm here. Nor are we to live unintentionally like those who we do not admire. We are to let the word of God be our rule and guide. You you can't get into the mentality, well, as long as I'm not living a life like that Christian, I'm good to go. That's not the standard. That's not where you're instructed. That's not inspiration. The word of God, the Holy Spirit will convict and lead and guide you through the word of God and through prayer. And so many times we need to find ourselves that we, we do not Do not do that. Um, And that third kind of horizontal worship, which we do, I I want us to notice, it's important to see that we work out our salvation as God works salvation in us, not just as a vertical worship uh, that we witness to God in our hearts, and and not just a horizontal worship within the congregation, within the church. We edify, strengthen, and love one another but we witness that our horizontal, our worship should show to the world, okay? We witness to them, so much so that there is a contrast. And that's what Paul says here. He says in verse uh, 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Well, in this purpose that we have, this worship towards God, this humility of mind, esteeming each other better, here is a contrast of who God's people are to be to the world. It's not a comparison. It's a contrast. Now think about this. When you look out in the stars, and I love looking out the stars, I mean, doesn't the darkness of space make the light seem that much brighter? And doesn't the brightness of the star make the darkness seem that much more dark? You cannot compare how light and darkness are similar. You can only contrast how they're different. 
And that's what Paul is doing here. That in the midst of a perverse and crooked nation, generation, we are to contrast ourselves as lights. We're not to be similar as the darkness. We're to be different. And that's what he says in verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth that word of life. You know, um, if we, and he also says, even within the church, so we, we have the witness to the outside that the world sees us. And they're seeing a result of your inward worship to the Lord continually on your lips, right? Hebrews said this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So they're seeing a testimony of your worship, your vertical worship, right? Not only that, but he says within the church that we are to do things without murmuring and complaining and things of that nature. And that's what he says in verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Now, here is the fact of the matter. Not only are we to, to work out what God is working in, but we do it with a submissive mind. If you do it with a submissive mind, if you are thinking not of your own entitlement, your own joy, just like Christ was not, then how could we do it with murmuring and complaining? We couldn't, if you're doing it with the right mind. And, that, and this is really, like I said, starts in verse 1 and kind of the lessons all the way through down here. So in verse 13, it is God which worketh in you to both the will and the do of his good pleasure. You know, I was uh, one time... Uh, I don't know if I've sold this story before, but when I worked at the building, now, now I work at home, but I, I used to work at the blue building, and there's not a lot of gas stations downtown. There just isn't. They've, they've done a lot of stuff down there, but they've still not, I don't see a speedway on Main Street right there. Uh, so if you get into the situation where you're puffing on fumes to get to the parking garage to get to work on time, you, you might be stuck. Uh, going to the gas station or whatever with your, you know, I think the, the, new, the, the next one's on North Broadway, way up there. So um, I was out of gas. I knew I was out of gas. And then uh, a lady that I worked with, this was many years ago, uh, she said, you know what? I've got gas in this gas tank right here. Here, let me put it in for you. I'm like, no, 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 no. She was so nice. She was like, I am willing, and I, and I want to do this. I want to do this for you, and I'm going to put this, this gas in your gas tank, Philip. And I was like, are you sure? I mean, I, let, me, let, let me at least pour it in my own gas tank. She says, no, let me do all of this for you. And so I was like, well, this is, this is wonderful, you know, the blessing from the Lord. And wouldn't you know it, some people walked by me, and then she looked at them, and she says, I can't believe he's making me put all this gas in his gas tank. I just, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, here I got all these things to do and I got to do this. And I'm like, you know, her lips said one thing, but her actions definitely said another, didn't it? I really knew what she thought. She said that she would serve. She said that she would do anything for me. 
But when it came down to actually doing it, she complained. She did not enjoy serving. She did not take it, she, she did not have joy in serving somebody else. So not only are we to have this submissive mind and esteem others better than ourselves and look not to the things of yourself but look to the things of others but have joy in doing it from a pure heart. Because what are you doing? You're working out what God has worked in. That's got to be the first thing. It's got to be God working in your heart. So not only do we see a pattern of what our minds to be, and a purpose that God is conforming us to the image of his son and to exalt Christ. But we see that we must depend on the power of God to serve him, to love him, to live this life. You, you, you cannot serve God in the flesh. You must serve him in the power which the Lord is both giving you the will and the pleasure to do. It's a pleasure. It's not a chore. It's a pleasure. And so we see that that also exalts Christ. And the last one is the promise. The promise which we have of joy. Look at verse 16. He says, Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Paul counted it a privilege and a joy, even if he was tortured, even if he was persecuted, if it led to the fulfilled joy of his brothers and sisters in Christ, that he rejoiced. And that's of all the things that we saw Paul go through, in Acts. He rejoiced even if he himself had to sacrifice because of his love to others. And he rejoices in verse 17. If I'm offered upon the sacrifice, the one thing that would not bring him joy was to think at all that he had labored in vain that he had done all these things and that one person was blessed. Don't you love when other people are blessed? When the Lord gives you something to help somebody or to pray for somebody or to make that dish for somebody and give it to them and you're doing it in the joy of the Lord, you're, you're enjoying that you can serve the Lord and this is your way of worshiping God. You are working out what God has worked in and then you see the results of how the Lord has moved you to serve others, they start praising and thanking the Lord, and they receive joy. Doesn't that bring you joy? That brings you a joy you can't describe. Well, it makes any of the sacrifice worth it that you have been used at all to bring joy to one of God's children. Your brothers and sisters, joy comes from a submissive mind. It all comes back to the mind of Christ. You're not going to have joy if all you think about is your own fulfillment. And that's what Paul here has this submissive mind. 
What did Christ do? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus stripped himself of all the majesty, all the entitlement that he had, being equal with the Father, in eternity past, and the glory and the angels praising him night and day, that he should come down, and that he should give his life a ransom for a sinner like me. His love was the only solution for me. I was desperate. I was an outcast. I'm going to a sinner's hell unless Jesus put down all of those, all of those privileges which he had and he served. And in humility of mine, humility, loving me, he said, you know what? I will gladly sacrifice. And that's what Paul said. I will be offered upon the sacrifice of your joy. To know, and he says, the service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Verse 18, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me also, and rejoice with me. If you're on the same page with Paul, with this submissive mind, this humility of mind, and that you understand God's pattern, that the pattern is to be after Christ. The purpose is to exalt Christ in your life. And then we see that you must depend on the power of God to enable you in your life, that the, that vertical worship must be there before you can serve. You need to have things right with the Lord first in your own heart, and be at peace in your own heart. Doing things out of the love that you have for the Lord, not out of... Uh, Pressure from the outside. You know, many serve in churches today from the pressure from the outside, not power from the inside. That's what Paul said. Don't just serve the Lord and act happy about it when I'm with you. That's pressure. That's serving the Lord under pressure from what others think. Rather yet, serve the Lord from the power that's from the inside. And, you know, I, I got to thinking about the grueling week that they're going to have at camp. Uh, in my mind, everybody else thinks it's a blast and, and everything like that. Uh, to me, uh, uh, I got thinking of a little Daniel. Hopefully that's not a, a heat stroke. And uh, they, those heat strokes can, can zap it from you and make you less tolerant uh, with heat. But uh, I got thinking about all the labor that's going to go into church camp. Think about all the people, all those kids that don't have a church background. They don't have a Christian upbringing. And they're coming in. And not only are they reading or they're seeing, they're hearing you speak, but they're also watching you act. Do we have the joy? How's our witness? Does our witness show that we worship and that we exalt Christ? And so, you know, as we close, I want us to think about this. It takes faith to exercise the submissive mind. It is a surrender of what we think we're entitled to, and it's a surrender to serve others for the gospel's sake. But in order to do that, we must believe that God's promises are true and that they are going to, he is going to work in all of our lives. And he's going to achieve Christ-likeness in us. That he's going to enable us through the Holy Spirit to serve him, to serve others. And serving him is serving others. It really is. It's loving one another. 
You know, if you're my brother and sister in Christ, you are one of God's, and you're precious to Him. And He's going to want to minister to you. And how's He going to minister to you? He's going to minister through one of you. Through a heart that's willing, ready, submissive, and is serving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the promise of joy, when we submit our lives, we surrender our lives in service to the Lord, in service to another, that is the purest of joy that you can have. And that's what Paul was saying, that that, that is his joy. And he says, your joy also, if you know what I mean. Do we know what he means? Do we know what kind of joy that is? To have submitted ourselves to and be in submission to one another in the love of Christ? Have you faced the will of God for your own life? Is your salvation yours? Is it of the Lord? Are you saved today? I pray that the Lord has saved you. Maybe your need today is salvation. You, you come to the Lord knowing that you are a sinner before Him and that if you were to die the day, that you would be cast into eternal hell. And that's what the Word of God says. That the wages of sin is death. It makes it so plain. There's no misunderstanding those words. There's no spinning those words. There's, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a fable. It's the Word of God. That all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's no working to God's favor. There is only surrendering ourselves and, and looking to Christ to save us. Because he shall be exalted. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Or maybe your need today is not salvation. Maybe you have a, another need. We're going to have a song of invitation and we're going to sing a couple verses and we were going to invite you. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come, Lord, thanking you for this glorious day. Father, you've given us to come together, here together in love, in unity, and submission. Father, teach us through your Holy Spirit. Father, teach us the, the instructions that you would have our hearts to know the life which you would have us to live. Father, that you are, you have a purpose in conforming us to your Son. Father, we know that, that you know that we will sin. Father, but, oh, we have a faithful and just uh, Savior, Father, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I, I do pray for those who are here today and under the sound of my voice, Father, that you work your power in their heart and in their lives. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, please. And Brother Ron and Sister Harriet, we give you this time of invitation.